Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. As a recap, last season, we focused on change management and helping our listeners understand how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organization. This season, our fourth season, we hope to focus on some of the important aspects facing many organizations today regarding the future of work and creating a healthy work culture. We plan to do this by exploring central topics about creating healthy culture, and we'll talk to some folks and leaders out in the field that are experiencing everyday challenges while trying to create a better work environment. For today, I'm excited to have back a previous guest, Devin Basinger. Devin is currently the SVP of People and Operations at H1 and has a very interesting career journey, working as an operator, strategist, and people leader in entrepreneurial endeavors. He has a strong management and consulting background. One of the many reasons why I'm thrilled to have Devin here is not just because I've had the opportunity to work with him and learn from him while we were both at Accenture, but because he's speaking to us today from India, where it's currently 1 a.m. Holy cow. Glad to be back, Jen. Super fun for me. And I love being in India, and it's great to join. I am the SVP of People and Operations at H1. H1 is a healthcare data platform that uh, aggregates data on HCPs, healthcare professionals, and doctors around the world, and then puts them into profiles where our customers are usually life science companies. Those life science companies and others in the healthcare ecosystem can understand all the intelligence that they need to about doctors around the world. A little bit about my own journey when I joined H1. Before I joined H1, I started a company called DeepBench, and I built that company as a founder and COO. When I was in that COO role, I was also our lead for uh, human resources. You know, I was leading our team and hiring and doing all of that. And after a few years, I ended up leaving my founder role and ended up joining H1. When I joined H1, it was in Y Combinator at the time, an accelerator in California, and it was about 20 employees. And I joined as we were trying to raise our Series A. And I started working with founders to be able to try and raise the Series A, try and set our strategy and grow the company the best that we could. We ended up raising the Series A. And then in the last two years, we've ended up raising a Series B and a Series C as well. So at this point, we've raised about $175 million. And the team has grown from about 20 people when I joined to more than 500 people worldwide today. And our team is spread out between the United States, UK, and Europe, and India. And so that's that's what brings me to India now. I'm visiting our more than 200 team members who are in India. That's awesome. Very cool. And uh, just prior to this, we were sharing some uh, stories of both of our experiences in India. And it is a wonderful country to visit and spend time with, when you, especially when you have team members there. So I'm thrilled that you have the, the opportunity to be there. As Devin mentioned, he's the SVP of People and Operations. To open up our discussion today, I'd like to focus on the people aspect of his role. I think the pandemic has truly highlighted the importance of people, culture, and healthy work environments. And make no mistake about it, 
For those organizations out there that think that culture will just evolve organically, you may end up finding yourself in a workforce of the future that has behaviors that don't align with the company's values. The 2020 Deloitte survey of almost 9,000 workers found that 80% of respondents ranked well-being as important or very important to their organizational success. Well-being is nurtured by being intentional about creating a healthy culture. And as we've discussed many times on this show before, COVID has truly illuminated and altered our relationship to work itself and our priorities. So if you aren't already thinking about what your company's values are all about and how do your behaviors that you want to see in your workplace map to those values, now's a good time. Looking to create a more positive workplace of the future, what does Devin prioritize? What does he value and how does he implement those values to facilitate a healthy work environment? My role has changed a lot over the course of H1. Uh, the things that I was doing for H1 at 20 people were things like helping us try to raise money and helping us try to set our strategy. And then as the company was growing, every time we hit a new stage of growth, there was kind of a different thing that was most important for me to do. My first journey into kind of HR and culture within H1 was around the time where, well, first it was recruiting. <laughs> I, before we hired our first recruiter, I had an interim responsibility to do a lot of our recruiting. And I think I helped recruit 12 to 20 people <laughs> in the month and a half leading up to us getting our first full-time recruiter. But as we hit about 100 people in the organization, I was asked to help lead our initiative in defining our company culture. And it wasn't because it was a specific job responsibility that I had, but it was because I cared deeply about our culture. I could see the challenges that was happening in our business because not all of our teams were aligned on the type of culture that we wanted to have. And I was kind of a, a trusted person that could work with our founders and work with our leaders across the team and work with a lot of our original and longtime employees so that we can effectively define and scale the cultural parts of what made H1 special. And that was in the middle of uh, about this time last year, so spring of 2021. And I went through this process of defining our culture by doing hours and hours of interviews in a, a, a bottoms-up approach of talking with people around our business and, and really trying to get to the heart of what made us special and what we cared about most. And the output of that was an H1 culture code. And we started using that culture code to train and onboard every, every new person that we added to H1. And so now we're at about 500 people in the company. And at least 400 of those people have uh, had training sessions with me <laughs> and my team on our culture and understanding the type of company that we are trying to build and that we aspire to be. And whenever I do those training sessions, I ask them at the end of those sessions to help me build the type of company that we aspire to be. And so that's really been one of the key ways that we've tried to scale culture as we've grown from you know, 20 people to 500 people. For us as a company, we started hiring everybody at the very beginning of the pandemic. So I joined H1 in February of 2020. And within, uh, within two months, the COVID-19 pandemic was, you know, taking, uh, having impact across the world. And what that meant for us is we received our Series A funding right 
when everybody else was trying to figure out how to work in a remote world. And what that let us do is when we started hiring, we were able to hire from anywhere in the world because we had no precedent. We were really comfortable being remote. We were really comfortable managing people for outcomes, not just activity. And that really shaped our culture to be a culture of of doing and focusing on outcomes and being a, a real remote first culture f- from day one when it came to hiring in a in our hyper growth period. I love Devin's point of scaling the culture with a company. When we return, Devin shares why culture matters so much. In a recent Indeed survey, 46% of job seekers listed company culture as an important factor in their decision. So important, in fact, that 69% of job seekers would reject a job offer from a company with a bad employer reputation. Devin, as well as H1, understand this reality. He touches on how imperative culture really is and why it's so important to be intentional about creating the right culture. So it matters a lot for a few different reasons. It matters a lot to me personally because I only joined H1 for culture. The way that I'll frame it is when I made the decision to join H1, it was before we had our next round of funding. It was before I knew how fast we were going to grow. And it was before I really understood how fast our valuation would grow. And so for me, when I joined, we didn't have clear funding. We didn't have a clear path to hyper growth. And that really left one core metric for me to base my decision on when I was trying to figure out which startup I should join. I knew I wanted to join a startup. I knew I wanted to pursue a hyper growth opportunity. But the decision that it came down to was really based on the founders, how well I worked with those founders and how much I believed in the values that those founders had. And when I started working with the founders of H1, I felt that they had really good values, that they had the ability to execute in the way that they managed the business, to be able to, to execute on a plan to grow the business. But also I saw that you know they were going to be willing to work with me to build the type of company that, that we all wanted to have. And so for me, when I joined H1, it was really because of the culture that was being set by the founders at that point in time. And I felt that that was high alignment with my own values, and I would be able to help them build the type of company we wanted. And so uh, number one reason, personal <laughs> personal motivation, I want to work in a company that I enjoy working in, and I want to I work in a company that I'm proud of for the culture and values that they have. But from a scaling perspective, what we saw when we started to grow was as we moved from a 20-person company to an 80-person company, one of the first things you do is you go start hiring good, strong managers who you can build around and build your functions around. But you're growing so fast that it's hard to give them all like a thorough onboarding or help them really become indoctrinated in the values or culture that already exists. And what happens is every manager that you come in brings their own past experiences and they're using their best judgment and and they end up building these microcultures on their teams because you're all growing so fast that at oftentimes it's just not in line with kind of the core values that the company was founded on. And it wasn't that they were bad values, it was just that they were different. Some teams really valued being cautious and careful and precise in all the work that they were doing. And other teams really valued moving fast and being willing to experiment and iterating on 
the work that they were doing instead of trying to get it perfect the first time. When we got to about 80 people or 100 people, as those teams started really becoming dependent on each other to get work done because the team was growing and the size of the company was growing, there were substantial conflicts and frustrations because different teams had different expectations for what operating in a good way looked like. And when we saw that, we realized really quickly that it, it wasn't a reflection of the quality of those teams. All of the teams were good and all of the teams were capable and skilled and using their best judgment. But they just had different expectations in terms of what was good behavior within the company. And so it really became obvious to us that it was a culture question. And we started navigating this process of defining what our culture is and then getting buy-in from all the existing leadership team members uh, that that's what our culture should be and that's how we wanted to behave. And then from there, it, it really helped us gain alignment and helped us operate much better because we all understood you know, how we wanted to act and the type of company we wanted to be. That is very cool. And now I have so many different questions. But before um, asking those questions, I think it's pretty important to amplify for our listeners what you articulated that you were personally looking at the company's values and assessing a company by based on its culture and the culture fit. So in a landscape where the talent talent is critical to the success of your business, especially today, now more than ever, listeners, talent like Devin are out there and they are evaluating a fit based on your culture as an organization. So we have said this time and time again, that this is work that is very important to be intentional about. And it's because you are not only trying to foster a cohesive collaborative environment internally, but you're also trying to look for matches to draw into your organization. I just want to highlight that Harvard Business found that millennials prioritize people and culture fit above everything else. So we are in a war for talent still, and it's important to pay attention to these things. Now, before we go further, it's also important to establish that millennials are currently the largest work generation with 56 million people. In 2021, the oldest millennials hit 40 years old. As younger millennials and even Gen Z move into the workforce, we may see that prioritization of cultural fit increase. As Devin mentioned, every culture is different and most are not necessarily better or worse. It's just about the right fit and what you want your company to embrace in terms of behaviors and outcomes you want to see. So when we go out and try to hire candidates and we're looking for the best candidates, there's a lot of different definitions of what the best candidates look like. Some people want really want those folks with the you know uh, blue chip tech experience or with top tier consulting experience, and those are certainly good skills. I respect those skills, but I want to win candidates based on culture. I want them to be able to have the skills that they need to succeed in their role, and I want them to believe in the mission and vision of the company and all of that. But at the end of the day, I want to filter out candidates that aren't going to thrive in the culture that we have at H1. And the people that are going to thrive in our culture, I really want them to be able to recognize that and come here and do their best work. And so I think by building a distinct culture, uh, it will filter out some candidates that don't want to buy into that distinct culture. 
But the pro is that it helps you very quickly find candidates who do want to buy in to that culture. And those are the people who are going to authentically thrive and do their best work and stay with you for a long time. And so I really want culture to be the separator that helps me find those candidates who are going to be here for years to come. Not only is Devin conducting this work in a young, growing company, but he's also doing it on a global scale. As he works with employees from diverse and international backgrounds, how has the company culture played a role? Has it unified the workforce? Has it absorbed multiple cultures? We have a lot of different cultures at H1 in terms of geography. A lot of our founders and kind of the initial team came from New York and they had kind of this New York way of doing business. It was direct and it was fast and it was urgent. And, you know, we wanted to move quickly and we wanted to grow really quickly. And, you know, even as we scaled within the U.S., we started hiring people in the Midwest, in the South, in the Southern states and in California. And so we were dealing with, you know, different uh, regional cultures within the U.S. But then we, you know, have done a couple of acquisitions. We acquired two companies. Each of those companies brought their own culture. One of those companies was a recent acquisition and they're in London. So now we're, now we have a London based team. And last summer we added, you know, 200 plus employees in India and they brought their own culture with them too. And so for us, it's been a present thing that we wanted to be intentional about for the entire time that I've been here. And it is a very difficult thing. I think by articulating our values and articulating the behaviors that we want people to emulate and being really clear about that, what it's done is it's let us celebrate the people who embody those values. And then those stories and those examples become things that people across the organization understand and look up to and believe that, you know, that's a good representation of how we want to act. So I would say in that way, it's been beneficial to us that we've had a a storytelling culture that way. On this topic of culture, Devin explains how remote has played a large role. There's another aspect, which is, you know, remote work. And it is more difficult to build a sense of community remotely. Slack has been a helpful thing for us to do that. You know, being able to have informal interactions with people on Slack or uh, remotely or virtually in Zoom are really good ways of building culture. You do have to be a little bit more intentional about it than, you know, if everybody was sitting in the office running into each other, the water cooler, things like that. But it's certainly possible. And it just takes some intentionality from the team. What we found at H1 is that there was a handful of individuals across the company, and a lot of them were these early employees who had really just kind of grown up with the company, been there since it was a small team, eating lunch around uh, a single table, the CEO. And those employees had such strong embedded culture and values in themselves that they were able to act as ambassadors. And as they went to different teams across the organization, they were able to bring the H1 culture with them to a lot of different teams, even if they were earlier in their careers, even if they weren't necessarily in a leadership position for the team that they were on. And so those cultural ambassadors became incredibly important. And we really just fed them and relied on them and empowered them to be able to help us scale our culture and represent it and bring the values that we wanted to embody to people around the world. 
That's very cool. I, I love that. And there's so many things that you articulated in there that I think are valuable for companies to hear just in terms of the impact that having intentional culture work can lead to. While executing this intentional culture work, several things surprised Devin. He begins with how we met and how his early experiences have influenced his perspective on culture. So when I first met you, Jen, we were working on a, a project together in consulting, and the project was around change management. I was very early in my career at that point, and change management seemed like a luxury to some extent. You know, it felt like something that was maybe difficult and important, but it was a little bit more difficult for me to quantify and understand the impact that I was having because early in my career, I didn't understand really the impact that positive change management could have in an organization over changes that didn't really worry or care about how employees receive that information. When the thing that surprised me most about trying to change culture within a team or trying to adjust culture within a team is some of the gravity that you need to fight where you have really good, valuable employees or team members or leaders that just have different perspectives on what those values should be. And until you really can manage the change that goes into having all the leaders and and, and especially leadership, I'm going to focus on leadership, but until you can go through the change management effort to get all of the leadership really bought into the values that you want to embody, it's an impossible task to roll it out to the rest of the organization. And I think over-investing in those really early conversations to make sure that all of your leaders are really bought into the culture that you're trying to build and aspire to build, that just makes the rest of it phenomenally easier. Because there's these hard decisions that come up all the time that are, that are really cultural decisions. How are we choosing who to promote? How are we choosing who to hire when there's multiple good candidates to hire? Or how do we make a decision to manage somebody out of the business? Or how do we make a decision to be okay when somebody leaves the business? Those types of decisions in the moment are extremely difficult if you don't have alignment between stakeholders on what are the things that matter most. And so as much time as you can invest in uh, change management and upfront discussions to help people understand the reasons why you care about the values that you're talking about, going to make everything much, much easier to scale and implement. So when we need to do our little PR plug about why change management matters, I'm going to take this recording and play it back and put it in our proposals. <laughs> I, I can give you more on that. When I think of the challenges and what has changed from us being a 20-person company to a more than 500-person company, uh, we've gone through three rounds of funding in the last two years since I've been here. And each time we've raised money, our board has changed a little bit, our expectations have changed a little bit, and our goals have changed a bit. And what that's done is it's required that our team evolve with the stage of the company. So every time our company evolves, the people on our team also need to adjust the way that we operate. And the most interesting thing from my own career perspective is the shift between uh, how to make an impact in a scaling organization. When we were a 20-person or 100-person company, I could leave my team alone and do a lot of independent work and come out five or six days later with a beautiful product or a beautiful analysis or a beautiful slide deck that talks about things that we want to do 
and I could really drive change as an individual. But then as a 300 or 400 or 500 person company, the skill set that I have that delivers the most value at this point is really being able to take these big, hairy objectives that we're trying to pursue and understand how to navigate change within the organization so that people will buy in to understanding why we want to make those changes and then be able to execute. So the importance and value that I've contributed to the company has significantly changed from when we were a a seed stage or series A company to a series B or series C company. And that change has been almost entirely focused on change management, how to how to get organizational buy-in to these big changes that need to happen. And at this point, I'm somebody in the business that has been here long enough that now there's much more skilled people than I in the business. We have leaders in our business with a lot better experience with more years of experience and you know they've been in bigger companies they've helped companies IPO you know all of that and the comp- the the way that I'm still able to add unique value is because I have a lot of the context of why things are the way they are in the business and who people are in the business and what they care about I'm able to help our team and help our leadership team navigate change in a in a relatively complex environment and help those changes be effective and so now I would say most of the value that I bring to the team is in terms of change management. Love it. Awesome. <laughs> That's great to hear. <laughs> so I'm happy that all of those, uh, all of our days at, at Accenture together helped lay the foundation for your accelerated change management career. So nice job. I always love to hear about how change management has helped both people and organizations, obviously. Devin has a lot of formal training with change management work, but less with culture work. Yet, that is his primary focus now, and something which he truly excels at. In fact, the way in which he's articulating his points remind me of the outline steps in our implementation plan. He had to do his own research and learn a lot, and he's being very thoughtful about how he's going about doing this to support the company's evolution. So this brings me to my next question. How did Devin learn all of this? There are companies that don't even know how to speak about culture. Yet Devin can not only perform his cultural duties, but he is doing it while scaling rapidly during a global pandemic. Devin tells me how he not only learned the importance of culture work, but also figured out how to do it effectively in a growing company. The most practical experience that I had that really that really made me exercise this skill was starting a company. And when I started DeepBench and started to grow a team, all of these questions came up very quickly in terms of what type of company did we want to be? Because when you're starting a company, it's a blank slate. And so there's a lot of uh, conversation and freedom that you are able to have where you don't need to follow norms. You can kind of do what you think is the actual right thing to do. And so the most practical experience I had was I started DeepBench. I was working with my co-founders and really was really had time and a blink and a slate that I was able to really think through what type of company did we want to be and what did that mean about how we operated. And so putting mental energy into that for three plus years working on DeepBench as a founder gave me a lot of time to process what, what type of company would I build when I was building a company. And that transferred very easily 
to the mental approach that I took to H1. So I think that's the most relevant experience. What I will add to that is I've seen many strong cultures in my life. I think I've seen church cultures. I've seen college cultures. Um, I've seen the culture at MIT Sloan when I went to MIT Sloan. And each of them in their own way had a really strong, tangible culture. And they really found people who really wanted to be there, who really bought into the mission or vision of the organization and did a lot of things to reinforce the mission or vision of that organization in a way that had lasting impact for the people who bought into it. And while I was experiencing those strong cultures, I also just had a natural interest in human psychology and why people act the way that they act. The way that that played out for me in college and in MIT is I ended up being an economics TA in college and in undergrad and at MIT. And so I think just this natural interest in understanding people and understanding why they do the things that they do from an incentive structure perspective, but also from a psychology perspective, and then coupling that with the really strong, tangible examples I saw of culture in my own experience, and then going through that founder experience and trying to build my own culture at DeepBench just gave me a lot of foundation and groundwork so that when I got to H1, a lot of these things I have, I've trained myself to think about over the years, even though maybe I didn't have formal training in culture building. And while Devin may not brag about this, I will on his behalf. It does take a special person to be able to absorb all of these different experiences and cultures, synthesize the information, and then form that knowledge into a repeatable concept that the company can follow. Before we wrap up, I want to hear some of Devin's advice to leaders. If a leader is embracing culture work for the first time, what steps should they take from his point of view? He gives a great response regarding that question. I think when you are starting to do culture work, it's really like an identity question. And so I've gone through this identity question personally, but in a professional setting, you're going through it in terms of, you know, what type of company do you want to be? And the more authentically you can ask yourself and your leadership that question, what type of company do we want to be or what type of company do we aspire to be? I think that's where you start. And it doesn't need to be a clean or easy process. I think in some ways, if it's too easy of a discussion, then you probably weren't asking the right questions. And so you really just need to be committed to not finding per se, like an answer that looks good on paper or not finding an answer that, you know, sounds good in a press release. But really, are you committed to getting to the heart of what your business values and what your team values and what does your team aspire to be? And if you can tackle those hard questions and do that in a really authentic way, then I think you're allowed to have a lot of, a lot of messiness and a lot of debate and a lot of uh, friction as you work through those things. And it really comes down to, can you be authentic as you answer those questions? Brilliant. Love it. I really do appreciate you taking the time. It's getting even late, later, earlier in the morning for you in India. So I think we'll wrap it up here, Devin. But thank you so much for joining us today. 
how might our listeners reach out to you and connect with you if you'd like they'd like to pick your brain some more or have some ideas to share with you? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you can reach me at devin.basinger at h1.co or you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a request and I'd love to connect. Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening and joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Take care.